Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to another episode of Syrupcast for the week of August 20th, 2015. It is hot as hell outside. And as always, I'm joined by my coworker and good friend and good-looking man in general, Douglas Soltis. The heat up, is buddy? too damn high. Too damn high. The rent. Too damn high. What are you drinking? Uh, it, it, should be, it should be Bullet. But it's just Jameson. Mm. A little Thursday afternoon pick-me-up. Well, my pick-me-up comes courtesy of my I, I Love Netflix mug. Oh, nice. Which I brought back all the way from Barcelona. What? Yes, sir. You bought a Netflix mug from Barcelona? I did not buy one. I was I was gifted a Netflix mug. Oh, the uh, Schmobel World Congress? The Schmobel World Congress. Netflix actually rented a beautiful flat somewhere in Barcelona and shepherded journalists there to show off their new mobile interfaces months before they were actually announced in public. So I couldn't say anything about them for like four months. Hmm. It was crazy. The uh, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that they should have a mobile congress in Barcelona. It's uh, <laughs> no well, reason so other than it's just beautiful. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's warm in February. It's awesome. It's also very unsafe. My buddy Chris Velasco got all of his stuff stolen at a McDonald's at, right across the street from the uh, Via Fira Gran Via, which is the main um, convention center there. Mm-hmm. But whatever, whatever. It's all good. He uh, he got his stuff back. So What? Not Sorry, he didn't. What am I saying? He got his, like, he got his passport reissued. Ah. That's not at all what I said, actually. So <laughs> yeah. Dis- disregard everything. I was like, let's stop the podcast and hear that story. Let's let's talk about um I'm gonna say his name wrong, but Valenzuenas, who just got signed to a four year sixty four million dollar deal. Valentunis? That's correct. Yes. I haven't said his name for a few months. I always said it wrong Jeez. during the season. Valenzuenas. Valentunis. My up? name my name is Jonas. My name is Hove. Um Alright, so yeah, let's talk about it. What do you uh, what do you what do you have to say? Worth worth sixty four mil. Yeah, you can't you can't teach big, and I know that the game's going to all like fast and quick switching and stuff like that. But uh, JV can put the ball in the bucket and he can rebound. And if they actually let him play in the fourth quarter and learn what that's about, maybe he will be useful in the fourth quarter. I think. A lot of his developmental issues have come from a generalist, general disdain amongst the team as to what JV brings to the table versus what he's taking away from the table. And I think he's got a much shorter leash than someone like Terrence Ross, who, other than scoring 50 points and running around like an oiled gazelle, doesn't really do much. So, Didn't Ross get traded? No, man. Unless, like, the coma I've been in for the past week, <laughs> I missed something, but no. Uh, Ross was not traded. That's too bad. My man Grievous, though. Swaggy G. Thinking. Never forget. I like basketball, but I'm not very uh, familiar with a lot of it. So you're you're basically my my teacher. So let's let's talk mobile because that's why you're probably all here. And you're let's my teacher. Start, uh, this has been a really busy August. Let's just talk about that. So we'll we'll start with the big topic that we missed last week, which was. Google is now owned by Alphabet, and Alphabet is now run by Google's former CEO and president. So other than the business implications, which, you know, as a holding company, 
basically controlling a bunch of smaller companies the way that, say, Berkshire Hathaway does. Alphabet seems to be a way for Google to justify its many different projects. So Google is its main company. It'll continue making the vast majority of the profits and the revenue. But its other endeavors are becoming increasingly important, especially around the healthcare and the robotics uh, side of things. And uh, we're seeing projects like, um, you know, that diabetes-focused um, uh, contact lens that allows you to check your insulin levels and a lot of other kind of, um, you know, long, uh, longevity projects with Calico. There's um, there's a bunch of really cool stuff. There's the balloons, it's, the giant yes, balloons. Yes, uh, the balloons, the internet balloons. That's the name I forget. Uh, but they're doing some really interesting things, and you can't really call Google a search company anymore because even though that's what they do to earn money, a lot of their pet projects turn into these really big endeavors that end up changing the world. No, sorry, wrong. You can totally call Google a search company or an ad company, an ad search company. It's just that that company is no longer dictating where the the monolith goes. So if you right. look, comparing this to Berkshire Hathaway or even just a normal corporation, which a lot of people think of... Uh, large companies if they've never worked at one as like a single entity when really there are a lot of different silos a lot of different small fiefdoms a lot of different you know 50 to 100 person companies working together and the thing is with a company like google whoever is working on the like team balloon probably doesn't care about what team diabetes contact lens is doing and team uh adwords doesn't give a damn about anything because they're the one that brings in the money so the opportunity for all of these different ideas to exist as their own functional company means that there's no there's no brilliant idea that will live and die in middle management because it's just being thought up by someone in the wrong division or someone who doesn't have the purse strings. I think with this organization, uh, what Google's founders are doing is giving all their moonshots the opportunity to thrive and grow on their own with the, you know, independent monetary support of their their major profit maker, which is Google. Um, yeah. You know, and I think, that, you know, two things to think of when you, this news comes out in the past week, you get the one story where, like, some, some guy from Kodak invented the digital camera in the 70s, and his, his, his boss has told them to hide it because they were afraid of disrupting their own business, which is, this is the type of decision that they're protecting against, you know? Um, and then you see all this news about ATAP getting delayed, um, which will be something Google no longer has to kind of like really justify and hide, um, so that each, each of these things can be, um, addressed and grown and tackled separately. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a good point. So Google's the breadwinner. Google brings in the money. Google allows these other outfits to run, uh, you know, the same way that a big director will, you know, take a Spy Kids 7 in order to, you know, Robert Rodriguez will direct Spy Kids 7 in order to fund his, like, independent, um, you know, gory country movies. So, you know, that's something that I've always admired about Hollywood is that, you know, the big name directors really don't I mean, some of them do but most of them don't just want to direct crap they want they to do, direct they do car that, commercials or halo commercials that's what they do it's funny that ridley scott is directing the martian because i think that um you know he's one of those big name directors who doesn't do a lot of smaller small budget movies but when he does obviously the martian's not one of them but when he does uh they turn out to be you know surprisingly good um and there's another movie coming out by, you know, Steven Spielberg directed by the Coen brothers with Tom Hanks in it that um, about a spy, a Cold War spy exchange that mm. looks amazing, but doesn't really have like the big blockbuster special effects 
that uh, a Jurassic Park or yeah, are any of them joining the Avengers? Because that's how you make money nowadays. But so, but then you know, even just being glib about that, that's that's the idea where you know you don't have people who are looking to build something that will be amazingly profitable in twenty years, trying to justify their spends to people who are responsible for optimizing every second of search information day to day on a website that, you know, from a fundamental experience hasn't really changed much since 1990. Was it like, we want to say like 98, 99 when uh, Google dropped 97, maybe 98, 99. Um, um, I think it was, well, I think they just celebrated 20 years, didn't they? Yeah, ninety not ninety five. Close enough. Anyway, I mean they've been around. Sorry, it's not. What are you talking about? Twenty years. It's been eleven years. Two thousand and five. Yeah. If you go to abc.xyz, that's what the um, they have this letter written by mm-hmm. Larry Page that goes over why they decided to create Alphabet. Anyway, what's so interesting about this is that Sundar Pichai is now uh, the CEO of Google. Mm-hmm. And Google is this massive company, right? And Pichai has basically, you know, basically come up from middle management to lead Android and then lead so much of the device division, so much of, you know, he basically controlled Motorola when it was a part of Google. He runs android he runs chrome he runs all of the you know consumer facing products mm. okay so um, that's interesting so with all these companies breaking out android still remains a part of google android Android's is not a part own. of google youtube is a part of google uh you know that's not going to change anytime soon it's all about the ads yeah and those are ad driven and it makes sense to keep chrome and android and youtube all in one place even though youtube has its own ceo um you know it's under the auspice of of google it's just another search and, engine yeah i guess that's true and then world, you know we world's have, second biggest and then google's broken out parts of android into fully fledged products too right like or google plus used to have google photos but photos is now its own product mm-hmm. and Google now has the potential, especially with now on tap coming with Android M Marshmallow, which we'll talk about later. That has a you know the huge potential to disrupt the way that people use their smartphones, or it could be useless. I mean, who knows? Um, but let's I mean let's just give kind of quick acknowledgement and move on because that that's a big deal, but we don't really know what it, what's going to happen with it. Uh, especially in the mobile space. I think it's mostly a big deal for all the things outside of what we normally cover. Um, yeah, which unless, I want to cover. Yeah, but unless Sunder like, really like does something crazy with the Google as we know it now, I think it's it's more about the other things that were inside Google that are now no longer. Unless we want to talk about uh, that uh, the Wi-Fi router that they released. Yeah, OnHub. So that turned out to be one of the most popular articles uh, of the year on Mobile Syrup. People seem to love the idea of Google creating a router. Now, that's probably because most routers are god-awful. But Mm -hmm. I also just think that Google has a way of curating certain categories of products, like, you know, the the fact that they bought Nest, and then Nest brought Dropcam, and now Dropcam is integrated into nest google has these disrupt like apple does has these disruptive powers that allows them to take an existing category of product and then rework it into something special well also if you you know in in the way that like you you would trust google with your like fiber optic cable or her you know things related to to data speeds you trust them to make a router that isn't you know, brutal '90s tech in a plastic box, um, and I think when we were talking earlier in the week that the the promise of this is that 
it's also taking in mind the capabilities of mobile. So multiple device kind of handoff and things like that. So if, uh, for example, you're in a coffee shop with 15 laptops and seven phones connected, it's something that the router can handle rather than, you know, crapping out and the barista has to go over and plug and plug it back in again. Um, right. But it's it's interesting how people, how willing people are to now give Google their deeply personal information at like the IP level. Screw a Google account. It's just like literally from your connected devices. Yeah, the privacy implications are, are interesting, but more interesting is the fact that people don't really care as long as they get a better experience from it. Well, so we've talked very long and hard about the idea of, with Google Photos, Google knowing too much about me because it knows a lot about you, and we've shared moments together. But that's with, like, a fairly intrinsic social connection and profile to your Google accounts, or at least the information on your phone that you share to your Google account. Now there's the capability to just like have detailed information about the people around you just because you're somewhere based upon what, you know, data, data connection you're, you're all accessing at the same time, which like all, all the, I like, uh, questions of um presence and identity and all of that go out the window if they can just kind of take all the data at like the at the pipe level you know um so google's hedging that discussion by not building the device itself google's actually partnered with tp-link which is a a well-known and very reliable router manufacturer. And by not being the hardware builder and by leveraging mobile, you know, with an iOS and Android app as a way to merely control the IO of the router, you have to, I guess, take for granted that this is not Google looking for more customer information by plugging directly into your internet connection. This is them just using their established platforms as a way to uh, better serve its customers, right? So you could be cynical about it and say that, yeah, they'll be logging certain data points from, you know, how people, how many devices they use to how fast their internet connections are to their ISPs to things like that. But at the same time, like with its ad, data it's all anonymized it's all basically just thrown into a mixer and and eventually out comes some some better ways to target ads well so, it is except for when it isn't right except for when they want to provide you more information about you um which means that they can pull together information about you when they when they want to right and then i i honestly don't believe like if we were talking about them laying like the the their fiber project and like basically we make money when people use the internet the more that they use the internet the the more money we make so we're going to make sure that regions that don't have high speed internet get them i i get that as like a a fundamental enhancement to their core services and money making we're like we're talking about we're talking about routers here there's like routers are not so bad that google needs to come in and supply routers for people so they can guarantee you know internet access I, I i think it's naive to think that they're they're just looking to jump into this new product category to better serve their customers i com- i just completely disagree i mean i would argue that it's far more innocuous of google to release a router especially it's basically just a rebranded tp-link router with some mobile apps thrown in there than laying literally like laying down fiber for people in Kansas and letting them basically letting Google be their access to the internet. I mean, Google already runs a DNS. They already have, um, you know, tons of influence when it comes to the routing of traffic on the internet. Being the destination or being 
being the the mediator between your home internet connection and your ISP doesn't give them much more power than they already have. Because most people already use Google's DNS services. Most people already use Google as their primary search engine. Most people you know, have some sort of Google account that they access on their iPhone, Android, or, or Windows phone, or BlackBerry. You know, this is a company that is entrenched in people's lives already. Adding one more factor, you know, by inserting a, a piece of hardware between their ISP and their and their modem, I don't think that's going to make a big difference in this in the long run. Adding one more factor can change the, the capabilities for them to contextualize the data by by like a factor, <laughs> like, and I think when you're talking about you're talking about the device level, you're talking about um, at like the pipe level. I would say at the router level, the thing there is also analyzing multiple device connections, which means triangulating not just your usage because you're doing it in app, but the people around you while you're using that. Where so, where you're gathering that information from? Right, but okay. So say say that um, everybody in your apartment building, you know, when when you like if you're in a busy apartment and you pull up your Wi-Fi. Uh, all the SSIDs on your on your laptop. There are dozens and dozens of them, right? Those, all those routers, all those modems, all those, you know, they're usually connecting to one of two frequencies. It's 2.4 or 5 gigahertz. And one of maybe four different standards, which is 802.11G and AC, or, you know, if it's really old, B. And one of two ISPs in Canada, it's Bell or TELUS or Rogers, depending on where you are. So one of three ISPs. If Google could convince people to get the same router so that it could tune the channels correctly based on, you know, presence. So it detects other routers with the same, uh, made from the same manufacturer. It knows what you know what frequencies they tend to run on what channels they tend to run on if it could optimize that and make everybody's internet better just so they could show me a targeted ad i'll take it i mean if that's the worst case scenario that my internet i don't have to reset my router every day that you and i have more stable podcasts because you know god forbid i forgot to unplug my router before we started podcasting i'll take it yeah. Okay. So I don't think that that would be the worst case scenario, um, and I also don't, I also don't know what the business case would be for them to work that hard just to be able to serve a a, a better ad. I just feel like there's there's more our capacity to speculate and imagine the usefulness of big data is limited by our feeble unevolved human brains <laughs> i just think yes. that there's you know but you also I, I mean i always notice when you and i talk about this that you find some way to argue that basically every company has a sinister side to their intentions especially google uh, that you you feel like ultimately we are going to you know as consumers we're we're losing by giving up more of ourselves and more of our access to these companies. And I understand that argument, but at the same time, I just don't see how inserting this router into your workflow does anything to, to you know, leave people worse off than they were before. So I, I uh, have rarely, if never, argued that it's uh, a sinister intention. For these companies, I but I strongly believe that in most cases, the stated reason for why a company does something is not often the real reason. Um, and usually that real reason relates back to how do we make money or make more money. Um, so in the case of Alphabet specifically, you know, I'm sure that Sergey and crew are really concerned about, you know, how do we effectively manage a massive company. Well, let's have a company of companies where we help manage and mentor strong CEOs and and 
work with them to do visionary things that will keep this company that we've started with, uh, you know, a search bar into something incredible. Uh, the unstated reasons, <laughs> which are probably true, are they're probably really bored of search and ads and they want to do cool and wonderful big shit. So doing this puts them in a position to work on that while making sure that the money still comes in. Uh, they also probably are tired of public markets and investors giving them a hard time with these moonshots. So this is a very easy way for them to say, quit worrying, Google is still super profitable, you own shares in super profit, and here are the other projects uh, that we're working on, and we're only going to share financial information on them when they're successful. Otherwise, they get bracketed into this kind of like miscellaneous uh, section. So they, again, they don't come out and say that. Uh, it's not stated, but I think it's, it's obviously an intention beyond what they wrote about in a blog post. Um, so yeah, they can talk about providing like a better service to customers accessing the internet, but like the, the inherent drive of capitalism, capitalism is not to be that, um, gregarious. There's, they're not being gregarious. They're not being benevolent. They're not being magnanimous or whatever other huge adjective you want to use. They're trying to make money selling you hardware. They, there are, there is... That high there's profit, always, that there's high always profit money in the game? lemonade stand, right? Like there's always profit in hardware, yeah. right? The margins in something like this, if they're selling a two hundred, if they're selling a router that costs them forty dollars to make for two hundred and fifty dollars, they're going to make money. That's how okay. these things work. They're they're they bought Nest not because they want to mine your data, they bought Nest because building a Nest is not that expensive, and they get to sell it for $250. Well, okay, right? so would you consider that the cutthroat router industry to be as profitable as something as, like, home connectivity? Where, not, you know, you're, we're, talking about, we're talking about things that people buy once and then replace only when totally broken or when they switch internet providers and have to give it back. I do not think that they're like, oh, wow, we can make a really great margin on routers. Let's move into that. I completely no, agree. It's profit. That's why they're not building it. Where is but that profit coming from? But it's it's similar to the Nexus line, where they get to stamp their you know logo on it and control the user experience. Yeah. Right. But the whole point of Nexus isn't profiting from the device. It's profiting from the uh, propagation of Android. Right. And and making sure that no OEM owns the identity of Android. So again, hey, we want to have a really great core Nexus device. What's the real reason? We need to keep these OEMs in line. <laughs> we need to we need Samsung and HTC to stop um dirtying up our core Android experience cuz consumers what just are you want to stop. about that's they if that was the case and they would stop Android they would stop Samsung and LG from dirtying up the Android experience. They're perfectly fine with android being different on different com on different devices to a certain extent they want to it's it's like they're setting up the platonic ideal of what a router is they want people to know that there's something better out there they're if it, even if it's just to challenge companies like netgear and linksys and dlink from to to develop better products they'll do it just like they developed fiber to the home in certain parts of the of the country or they want to challenge the carriers with Google Fi because they can because they want to lower prices because they want to make it a more compelling experience for customers. Well, that's interesting what you just said there. So so the the fact that they're challenging the internet providers which in the the US are even more kind of ingrained and monopolistic than in, in Canada. So I saw one tweet uh, today where the analysis of this launched. They were saying that basically Google was able to sneak in, like to backdoor a router in right under like Comcast's nose, um, which is I, I find to be very interesting. And I, I, I would, and I would think that that would be a more compelling reason than them just saying, like I, do, I don't think, even when Google makes hardware, it's not about the hardware. Right, but Google, so Google doesn't make hardware. 
They yeah, never okay, sorry. Made hardware. So even even when Google uh, sponsors, supports, partners, purchases hardware, it's never about the hardware. Well, that's not true. They they did make Chromecast. I mean, they they do make some hardware. Anyway, um, I, I mean, I don't think you and I are, are on two s- different sides of this, but I do think that uh, you and I have different opinions on what Google's end goal is, and. Yeah. I do think that with something like the OnHub, it's not to mine your data. It's to make sure that people's internet is better so that they can better, that they can get better ads, that they can more reliably use their, their home internet uh, with more devices in order for them to integrate more Google services into their lives. And if, you know, the setup process says, hey, it, it would be way better if you had a Google account you know, to Grandma Joe, hey, you know, yes. we know that your grandson bought you a router, and it would be great if you had a Google account. Yeah. Set, um, up, set up your family router with your, like, set up a family Google account for your router or your set-top box or your home. Yeah, I, I think all of that. But that, that, again, that goes beyond just like, hey, we can build a better router, right? It's, it's access to services. No, but it's, it's not. I mean, you're, you're basically... You're saying that they can't do one without the other. Like their intention could be mul- mul- you know, multitudinous. It couldn't. It doesn't necessarily mean that they just wanted to create a better router because they were being benevolent. And it, it's not that they just want to mine your data. It's that they want to do all of those things. Yeah. Okay. But like, I'm sure they don't want to be like, hey, we want to build a really shitty router, or like, we don't care if we build a good router. I'm saying Google never takes a step into hardware unless there's something else to it. They're not just interested in building a really great piece of hardware. Sure, um, but I mean, the Nexus, like, what your argument would suggest that buying a Nexus phone then would allow Google more access to your life than if you bought a Galaxy S6, right? That you're giving well, them... Well, it, though- it comes preloaded with a lot of Google services that aren't competing so with, every, say... So does every Android phone. But not competing with any other Android manufacturer's phone. And anyways, I'm well on the record, like, on this podcast for, like, the stated reasons why Google even started the Nexus program. Um, but, I know, like, we got a lot to talk about, and we're... We just went really deep. We went from A to Z on Alphabet. Yeah, we did. Well, that's why people listen, because they like those deep dives. And they like the fact that we always go at each other's throats. Like that, uh, we, should, we should post the Giphy uh, that we slacked right before the podcast started, which is basically how we prep for these podcasts. And if... Oh, you gotta... This podcast is fire! <laughs> So, uh, let's move on to talk about Bell. Now, Bell just launched their tri-band LTE advanced service in uh, four cities in Canada. Toronto, Oakville, Halifax, and I believe K-Dub. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Kitchener Waterloo. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, tri-band means that it uses three LTE bands to get um, speeds up to 290 megabits. Whew! Now, obviously, you're not going to hit 290 megabits. Oh. But what it allows you to do is use your late, you know, the, the best phones to get the best service in certain parts of the country. Yay! Now, okay, my question is... Will any Bell customer or potential Bell customer go to Bell because of this? Or will they just kind of like implicitly know that like, yeah, Bell's network is the dopest because it's uh, wicked fast uh, there, a guy. 
Yeah, it's not about um, stealing customers. It, it's more about checking that box so that Bell can say they have the fastest network in Canada. Mm -hmm. And that's what you see all over their marketing, that they are the fastest LTE in Canada. And back in, I believe, like 2011, 2012, uh, Rogers had to change their marketing from the most reliable network in Canada to Canada's reliable network. <laughs> because Bell and TELUS kept on saying, that's not true. You can't prove that you're the most reliable network. Yeah. But when it comes to speed, it's much easier to say, we hit these speeds and our competitors don't. Totally. So we're the dopest. But, but in, in a market where everyone kind of has their little catchphrase, where their candidate is most whatever... Um, how much does that speed resonate? Like, do, do, do you, do we think that the average consumer can comprehend like, okay, either the fastest or like, holy crap, that's really, really fast. I can basically stream whatever I want whenever I want it, you know, mm -hmm. or cause like, how do you, how do, how does a company like Bell take advantage of winning this kind of arms race? Well, the advantage is that they get to partner with companies like Samsung to develop these kinds of technologies and launch them in Canada to set precedents for the rest of the world. Now, mm -hmm. we are, you know, Bell, on the one hand, isn't doing this like Google doesn't do things to be gregarious. They're doing it to tell investors that we hit these benchmarks in Q3 by being the first to do X. Totally. And... It allows us to do X. So, for example, um, you know, with with so much bandwidth on a phone like the Galaxy Note Five or the Galaxy S Six Edge Plus, they get to say we have these amazing big screen phones that get to stream. Uh, you know, eventually it'll be 4K video or whatever. Right now, it's just the highest quality video. You know, on Crave TV. So, you know, they they get to say we own the content, we own the pipe. We own the relationships with this with the manufacturers, and we own the own the claim that we're the first to do this. So, when they launch, you know, some great new service like Crave, with some exclusive content like The Wire, or maybe mm -hmm. something more modern like uh, I don't know what's uh, his new show with uh, that guy Game of Thrones. Like that. Let's say yeah. when Game of Thrones comes to comes to um crave they'll be able to say you can stream the highest quality video with our new service and it'll never buffer and blah blah yeah. blah dinklage better faster yeah dinklage's pores will be more easily you know distinguished on that beautiful 5.7 inch display okay i can i can kind of buy that so how many how many phones right now can take advantage of this in canada <laughs> which phones well right now none of them are on the market but uh Sweet. tomorrow they'll be there uh the galaxy s6 or sorry the galaxy s6 edge plus mm. i hate that name so much and the galaxy note 5 they are the first cat 9 capable phones to cat be sold in canada that's sexy that's 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 better than super lte advanced turbo championship edition it's like yeah we're cat 9 capable it sounds like a like a Star Wars squadron. Cat 9 to Cat 4. This is Cat Leader. Meow. Except Cat 4 is like all broken and dirty and yeah. probably got run over by a bunch of... It's astromech droid. It's just like... As I, as I have a, a Rogue One background. I feel image. like um, if we get into a Star Wars K-hole, it will be... <laughs> <laughs> it will be very clear very quickly that I know nothing about the universe, and most people will just lose all all respect. You're not a Star me, Wars guy? If they haven't already. It's not... No, no, no. I'm not, not a Star Wars guy. I'm not as big into Star Wars as a lot of my, like, heavy geek friends. I'm more mm. of a Star Trek guy, but even then, I, I really... It's, like, very surface level. I didn't really get into the whole Star you know, okay. culture. So you're not trekking or warring or... 
Like, I, I, I don't know if this is heresy, but I think Star Trek First Contact is the best movie. Let's put it like that. Like, I love First Contact. I thought it's, I think it's a great movie. I don't like the original Star Trek. I don't like the... So, so two Samsung phones are coming out tomorrow. <laughs> and you've been spending some extended time with them, periscoping and whatnot. Um, with this extended time, have your thoughts changed ever so slightly? Wait, or, wait, wait, wait. Hang on a second. I'm just, trying to, I'm just trying to save you from the internet, man. I'm just trying oh, to I'm, save I, you I from I really the don't give a shit. If, okay. Like, I, it's not like I'm saying that Star Trek Nemesis is my favorite movie. Like, let's, let's be clear. First Contact is objectively a good film. Like, there is no question that of the Next Generation era Star Treks, it was the best. It's the only one with Guinan in it. It had Borg... It had time travel. It had uh, drunk dude. What's his name? <laughs> uh, the guy who invented the warp drive, even though it was kind of secretly Jordy now. <laughs> um, what's his name? I want to say William Hurt, but it's not William Hurt. The actor or the character in the, the, the universe? Actor. Oh, uh, who cares? It has Whoopi Goldberg in it and Picard going... Uh, die hard on the board i get you totally anyway so yeah i'm not gonna like i'm not gonna apologize for my for my uh my love anyway i have been playing with these devices they're awesome they're really good and actually a lot faster than the galaxy s6 and s6 edge now that's probably because they're running android 5.1 out of the box Mm. and as we learn with every phone running lollipop the early versions of Lollipop, the performance wasn't really up to par with the features. So Google did a great job kind of overhauling the look of Android, but the early versions of like Android 5.0.2 were just crazy buggy. So Lollipop is better now with 5.1. We just got the update on the HTC One M9 today, which I just updated, and mm-hmm. it looks good. Most big flagships are updated to 5.1, except for the Galaxy S6 for some reason. I'm not sure why. So this one uh, is definitely a big update, um, and it's it really it, it's a great phone. The Note 5 is probably becoming my favorite Android phone. Really? Um, yeah, it's it's super fast. It's really got a, an amazing camera, beautiful screen. The S Pen is a big update over the Note 4. The form factor is a little bit sleeker than the Note 4. It's actually smaller overall than the Note 4. Um, I like the curved back. It's not slippery. What else? The fingerprint sensor is fast. There was a lot of commentating in the office that it's not as big as a phone that big would feel. Like it doesn't seem as big as it is. Well, the bezels are shrunk, so it's not about that. It's not that it feels smaller than a phone that size would be. It's that the phones that size were too big because of the bezels before, whereas now this is basically as small and as compact as you're going to get in a 5.7-inch phone Mm -hmm. without cutting off the home button. So should Samsung down the road decide to make a 5.7-inch phone without a home button which I don't think it will for the foreseeable future. But then where would their wonderful fingerprint sensor go? Well, that's the argument, right? We wrote an article a couple of weeks ago about how Apple's been looking into integrating the home, the uh, fingerprint sensor into the screen itself. With the force touching. Well, yeah, with, just w- with having the fingerprint sensor be all over the touch display, all over the digitizer, basically. So um, it'll be... You'll, you'll be able to sort of authenticate just with touching your finger anywhere on the screen, which sounds really cool. So it would, uh, Nate Best is wondering, and I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Nate, when we were talking about the Note 5 announcement, you had initially said, still sticking with my Note 3, totally happy, in the comments on that post. So interesting, in the chat, you're asking now, is the Note 5 a reasonable upgrade from a Note 3? Daniel Bader. Oh, yeah. Huge upgrade. Like... Just from the the screen alone is a big upgrade. 
the camera's a big upgrade. The um, the processor is a huge upgrade. This new Exynos processor is crazy, crazy fast. Got four gigs of RAM, mm. much better build quality. Everything you would expect from a flagship has been updated here, and it's expensive, but it's well worth the cost. It's about 360 on contract. And you like the and back? You like the back casing? I like the back. I also, you know, I know this is controversial, but I don't really care about expandable storage because I think that Android treats expandable storage like a second-class citizen. Like herpes. It treats it like herpes, like it's trying it, to get rid it of it. It does. It tries to get it, tries to get it out of there. And mm-hmm. there's a reason the Nexus has, you know, never had a micro SD slot. So I think Samsung's done the right thing here. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it increases the price for people who want higher storage versions. But that's kind of the price you pay. And, if you know, if you want a micro SD slot, there's plenty of other phones. Like yeah. the Moto X Play that I am reviewing right now. Ooh, Segway. Uh, yeah, so the Moto X Play is actually coming out tomorrow. And so it's a $420 phone, mm-hmm. $50 on contract. And every single short like shortcut that Motorola took to get there is not only understandable, but sort of appreciated. Like, for example, they didn't upgrade the, the screen to some crazy resolution. Yeah. They kept that at uh, 1080p. But mm-hmm. the 1080p display is amazing. Um, they changed the metal frame on, the, on last year's Moto X to a plastic frame that's covered with a metallic resin. And that sounds dirty, but what it actually means is that uh, the frame is like... So they spooged metal over <laughs> top the plastic. <laughs> they, so they put a cover on it that feels metallic, and it's, it's got a, a metallic resin, which means that it, um, it hardens the plastic, but it doesn't feel like that sort of Lumia-like polycarbonate. It's, not a, it's more like the iPhone 5C Okay. Plastic. So does, yeah, doesn't feel like uh, hardened taffy. Okay, gotcha. Totally. So it's nice. And I actually had to be told that it wasn't metal uh, because I, I really thought it was. Bader, you're slipping. I'm slipping. Uh, okay, so so what you're saying is you're talking about compromises you don't feel bad about, which means Motorola continues its streak of making good mid-range choices on what to improve and what to cut, right? Like Yeah. So that, that said, um, and we got a question about the, the one plus two as well. So I don't know how we want to do this. So you, I'm putting you on an Island the month of September, um, with your, with your lovely fiance and you can, you can take one fiance and one Android phone. Um, what are you taking? Hmm. One fiance, huh? (laughs) Whoa, whoa. God, <laughs> time out, Zach Morris. Time out. He's oh, so off the rails. I'm such a good joker. But that um, being said, no one's gonna remember you saying anything about Star Trek now. That's true. That's yeah. true. Uh, so yeah, I, I will. I will take my beautiful fiance, who I'm getting married to in 35 days. Cannot wait. And I don't know. You know, I. So on the one hand, like you haven't set a price, so. You know, if I could go with the most expensive phone, I would go with the Note 5. Even though the Galaxy S6 Edge Plus is more expensive, I don't love the form factor. I, I think the Note the Note 5 is sort of the perfect combo um, of, you know, flat screen, great ergonomics, good battery life, fast charging, great camera. Um, but my second choice would probably be uh, the Moto X Play. Now... Ooh. A lot of people are going to probably tell me that the OnePlus 2 is the better choice. And I know Corey Herskew, who's a longtime fan of uh, the, the Syrup cast. Thanks Pretty much all of us. And, and a fan of all of us. Uh, yeah, I, I like the OnePlus 2. I, I have it here. The reason I, I don't want it at you know my, my island hovel with my fiancé is I just don't trust OnePlus to make great software. Hmm. So for example, they claim that they run that this device runs stock Android and it does. It runs very very kind of low overhead stock Android. But what OnePlus has done is they've made subtle changes in the back end that screw up some of the apps. So when you open a bunch of apps on it, 
they don't work properly. They don't run because some, for some reason, OnePlus just decided to mess with the way that uh, certain material design apps are rendered. How, how do they screw it? Like, can you give an example specifically? So yeah, I use Todoist, and Todoist is um, basically it's a productivity app that uses themes to change the way that the app looks. Mm-hmm. But the app, think about it as um, you you have like several layers, and the app is built on a foundation, and then there's just a blank space on that second layer where they insert the colors yeah, yeah so they just fill in the blank so if you choose the the normal color it's red and there are tons of others like blue and you know gray and whatever but somehow the rendering of that second layer doesn't work on the oneplus 2 and it's mm-hmm. not just that app it's a lot of other apps that use this framework for themes and it seems like oneplus basically decided to go their own way and there's a really detailed reddit thread that describes how OnePlus is screwed with people. And as much as I enjoy the hardware side, the experience I had with the OnePlus One would lead me to indicate that there's a lot more going on behind the scenes that OnePlus just doesn't have uh, control over when it comes to software. Mm-hmm. And they just haven't impressed me as much on the software side as they have on the hardware side. So it's a great phone. I'm reviewing it now as well, and I, I would recommend it to people who have an invite and who can get one. But like pound for pound, I would go with the the Moto X Play. That's just my opinion. Also, the Moto X Play has a better camera, mm. which I love. And finally, Motorola has made a phone with a good camera, finally. Summer shootout teaser. Well, I did a Moto X Play versus Galaxy S6 camera shootout, and we wanted I wanted to do a lot more, so we'll see. Maybe I'll do one. More, more shooting. That's what we need. Shoot with cameras, not with guns. Uh, what else should we talk about? Um, I, don't, you, I know you had a hard stop, so we can, yeah, we can well, hit something I mean, quick. Let's, let's, just, let's kind of finish the, finish the pod on a, on a bit of a, a carrier focus. Okay. Uh, we we came upon some documents that show Rogers and Fido will launch the uh, will launch Wi-Fi calling on iPhones running iOS nine. Mm-hmm. So that's some really interesting stuff because that's something that Rogers promised back in iOS eight, and uh, for some reason didn't follow through with it. But Wi-Fi calling is really useful. It's really useful for a number of reasons, and. Um, it's mostly for people who have bad reception, you know, in basements or, you know, thick-walled apartment buildings. And it... Um, it's just basically carrier-level voice over IP. Yeah, but it's seamless. So instead of having to hand off your phone call mm-hmm. from, you know, Rogers One number to, you know, the, the cellular network, it does it for you automatically. Uh, it's, it's, it's cool. I mean, it's not, a, it's not a huge feature, but it's definitely cool. The other thing is that Rogers and Shaw co-announced that uh, Showme will be coming to Canada for all uh, anybody with an internet subscription, not just Rogers and Shaw customers, today. So you can actually sign up today uh, anywhere in Canada if you're on Telus, if you're on Bell, if you're on you know uh, Tech Savvy, Akanak, Sasktel, Pharma Plus, Pharma Plus. Wow. Um. Yeah, that's so. I don't know. Kind of neat. I, Whatever. I, I think you know. I think the way that the CRTC had been wagging its finger in the past, this was likely going to be a reality. Um, it's just interesting to see because we we got the we got the inside uh, juice, the dirt on Show Me, like basically this time last year, wasn't it? No, it was, it was like late summer. October, early November. No, it was still summertime, man. Oh yeah, you're right. Sorry, they they announced it in August. Yeah, but it, it became available in November. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I feel it's interesting that you know from that conversation, where they were just so tight-lipped and hard about 
who the intended customer was for and their focus that a year later it's uh, all for one and one for all, I think is very interesting. Yeah, and I don't think it would have been that, that way if the CRTC hadn't given them incentive to do it. Definitely. Um, we can we can finish off talking a little bit about Kick. Now, Kick is a, the, the latest chat company to be valued at over a billion dollars, and that's after a $50 million investment from Tencent, which uh, is the Chinese company that runs WeChat. Now, you, you wrote about this. What is WeChat, and why should we care that Kick has that investment now? Uh, so WeChat is basically like one of the dominant chat apps in the non-Western world. Uh, specifically, specifically. Yeah, specifically in China. Um, and the reason why that matters is not that they're just a chat app, but the, it's a, it's a chat app that off, that acts as a service gateway for all these real life components because everyone uses it as the chat app. So basically, um, and Ted Livingston, who is the CEO of Kick, uh, and I think their CTO, um, I'm going to say Chris Best, Best uh, have talked about this around the funding where they they were, when they met with the, the WeChat people, they saw how in China, basically everything that you could pay for in real world uh, has a component where you can scan that thing and engage through uh, the the payment purchasing of that through WeChat. So things like um, ordering ordering a specific item of food, where you're like given the menu option in the chat app, and you're type writing out what you want, and then you get that and pay for it. To maybe filling out a quick survey through WeChat um, to get a discount on a product, where it just becomes this. Um, you know, first interaction space for all these retail components and services, which makes it like amazingly dominant in a way that we just don't see here um, in North America, in a way that apps like Facebook and others have tried to be, but just don't. Um, so when Kick was looking to, I think a few months ago, they had, uh, they had hired a firm based out of San Francisco um, to do some due diligence on like what what their options are, um, everyone took that as a signal that they were looking to sell. Um, they were not necessarily looking to do that, but 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 were basically recommended like why don't you partner with um, this massive massive chat app that is looking to do what you're looking to do because Kick has experimented greatly over the years with doing services on top of or facilitated by chat. Um, you know, which is interesting because it kick started as a not a chat app but a a music based app. Um, that it seemed like a natural fit for both companies that um, they could they could kind of cross leverage their mutual interests. Um, kick could become the WeChat of the West, and there's no real competition because they're just two entirely different markets. Um, it's also interesting that you know the the type of companies that kick is going against are companies like you know facebook right so mm-hmm. um it's it's a canadian company taking a really really big swing and thinking uh global in a way that most don't and thinking about mobile and chat apps in a way that we don't really see here in the west um you know as as things devolve to emoji and gift keyboards they're thinking about a way you know i was kicking with uh ted the other day i'm like yo find a way that I can use kick to unlock the door to my apartment instead of stumbling for my keys and you will win, sir. Let me use, like, if you're going to become the dominant app interface for everything, because it's easy to just type something in a chat window in the same way that we would much rather have all of our inner office communication through Slack than through email or anything else. Like, that's not something pretty much anyone else in the West is trying to do, so... Uh, very, very right. cool, very cool news. And yes, so the the most recent one billion dollar valuated company, which makes them a unicorn or a narwhal, depending on your perspective, which from the Canadian startup perspective is uh, 
um, exciting. Yeah, Kick's done some cool stuff. I mean, I don't use it because it's basically just a haven for spammers at this point for my username because I, I started using it back when it launched in like 2010. So I think my username has basically been spread around the spam world. Um, <laughs> your, and, your, mean, your username is the town bicycle? It's definitely one of them, yeah. Um, but that's okay because I, I respect what, what Kick's doing. And I appreciate that they're trying to disrupt a very, very difficult to disrupt market. Totally. And they're doing it from Canada. They're not moving to San Francisco. They're staying put and they're, you know, continuing to grow the startup ecosystem in, in Kitchener Well, I don't know. We, we went pretty long and hard last week about BlackBerry not being a Canadian company anymore, which several BlackBerry employees since then have just said to me like, yeah, you're totally, yeah, we totally feel that. Um, but you know, Kick is also a company where yes, they're very much headquartered in Kitchener Waterloo, but they are, they are building in San Francisco and globally. But more, I think more on the the, the sales and partnerships and services side, um, looking you to San Francisco, I mean, New York. Yeah, so much of its user base is based in in the U.S. Right. Well, and all the um, all the brands are located there, right? So you got to go where the partnerships and the and the money is. And and, and Kick said that they're going to be using the money to either. Uh, partner with services or even develop some of their own services. But the the one thing you're talking about, I think, is really interesting is the idea that for for a company like Kick to to take this on, they have to kind of become omnipresent, right? Like everyone has to be using Kick for it, it to really, in, in much in the same way that Apple can launch Apple Pay and it instantly becomes important because like you know, 50% of mobile users are using Apple devices. You have to, there has to be uh, a big enough installed base of Kick users, and I feel like Kick is very much an app that generationally um, does not resonate with anyone of a certain age. And I and I know you know Ted will come at me for that, but I don't I don't see like my dad using Kick in a way that he might use other like we um, no WeChat. Um, what what do we what do we use all the time? Um, the one app, WhatsApp, like I was able to get him to use WhatsApp and that, that was a Herculean struggle, but you know, can, can kick broaden its appeal and its brand so that it is kind of like a Facebook messenger kind of like de facto standard or, you know, what BBM was back in the day. Um, right. But what's, what's interesting to me is that, and I think we'll end here. Snapchat, in my eyes, has completely changed uh, from being this, you know, puerile dick pic sharing, you know, <laughs> ephemeral, you know, platform to something a lot more important because a lot of my friends use it. Yes. And because of that, you know, I open Snapchat every day now and I've nary sent a dick pic in my life. Like I use it to, to check up on my, well, not to you anyway, because you haven't yeah. earned it. But, um, you know, I, I don't check snapchat uh you know to send individual photos to people i use it to update my story i see my friends stories i subscribe Mm. to a lot of really cool companies like the verge has a really interesting daily update that they have been using to amazing effect which will now be on mashable because mashable hired away the guy doing that sam schieffer well yeah that's true too but also you know i've had a lot of really interesting conversations about how brands are using snapchat to grow their audience and this is a platform that sits completely independent to many of the media properties web pages right like totally you could totally. you could just you could watch the verge on snapchat and not visit their website and have a completely different yes. interaction with that media property it is its own and medium almost it is it's it's become very interesting and, and i mean we're doing the same with periscope i've been periscoping the shit out of these phone launches and we were getting you know we're getting 800 a thousand viewers um some of you know most of them have never heard of mobile syrup like most of yeah. them are from countries that would never even think to check a canadian site totally so but, yeah you know, for me but, it's really so, interesting to see sorry go ahead yeah no sorry we just we just uh rezzed out there but no i i completely agree that that if, if kick for Kick to succeed in executing the strategy, they have to have that sort of like Snapchat level of ubiquity, which even Snapchat is just now starting to uh, obtain and is, 
I, I don't know if it's limited or it's a it's a benefit that it is so its own medium in a way that chat is more ubiquitous. I think I think yeah. it's really interesting, but like kudos for them to be, you know, I remember back when they were just like a BlackBerry app getting sued by BlackBerry. <laughs> like and that Ooh. that was the, the 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 most important thing to know about Kick or like, you know, all the weird stories about like it's just a it's just a app for like 13-year-old kids. Like so they've what they've been able to accomplish here in Canada uh and what they continue to attempt to accomplish uh, is is really impressive. Well, kudos to both companies. Everybody's a winner on this podcast. We love you, and we love you. Mm-hmm. Shout-outs to uh, Nate Best. Thanks again for tuning in. Corey Herskew, we appreciate your many questions. Yeah, I don't think we answered we any, but whatevs. <laughs> uh, Shout-outs to Igor for being uh, the best damn news newsy that we could ask for and uh shout out jeff brassard for changing your avatar back he we did it? it yeah he did it what's going on buddy uh that's it for this week tune in next week when we talk about uh me watching star wars for probably only the third time because i'm gonna have to do it this weekend maybe maybe some ios and iphone and blackberry slider news well i'm actually recording fresh fruit right after this with uh, our bud eric lehman so that's all about ios and if you want to hear me chatting about that stuff i just wrote an awesome ios 9 preview Mm -hmm, uh, if mm -hmm, i do say mm -hmm. so myself and uh, if you haven't checked that out it's on the front page if you haven't checked out our gift guides there are three of them phones tablets and wearables we just put a lot of work yeah. into that. Shout out to Matt Monas for hooking us up with some awesome videos. Because school is uh, not a gift, but these phones can be. That's true. Thanks again, Douglas. You're the best. And we will see you next week. Peace. Bye, Internet. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 